0: The Bible encourages what we call the public reading of Scripture, something we don't always do. We maybe have a little passage before we preach, but it actually encourages the public reading of Scripture. It's something I'd like for us to do more. So I've asked Gina, before Alison comes to bring the word, I've asked Gina to come and read an interesting passage of Scripture for us from the book of Job, one of my favorite books. don't know what that tells you about me, but it's one of my favorite books (laughs) from Job 38. Thanks. It's headed, the Lord challenges Job. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind, behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, This far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked. And stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow, or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created the channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the paths for the lightning? Who made the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and makes the tender grass spring up? Well done, Gina. Thank you. Alison, so it goes on like that. that, That's not the whole chapter. We thought we'd stop after that, but you get the point. God is challenging Job about, well, where were you when I did all this? Alison Lloyd.
1: Thank you. But I like looking at things, and I like looking at art. I'm going um, to show you some pictures. For those in eagles, I'd like to see if you can guess what these are made from. So first one, please. Oh, now, this is one of my favourite pictures. If I ever go to London Gallery, this is the one I always have to go and visit. It's um, painted in oil by Joseph Wright. And the reason I like it is because it's all to do with the light and the dark, the effects of light and dark with a candle. And you can't see it very well there, but it, there's so many stories. There's a lover's in the corner. There's a girl. Oh, it's very dark, that picture. There's um, It's all about an experiment, and one of the girls is in quite a lot of distress. So um, that's a really good picture. Right, next one. You might not have liked that one, but that's one of my favorites. Anybody guess what this is made from? Are you an eagle, Dave? I like your enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I know I did say anyone. Thank you for participating. Go on. Sand. sand. This is a piece of artwork made out of sand. Now, if you look online and look at sand artwork, I mean, there are so many. No, Nobody actually knows who this is made by, but it's just incredible. There's giants. There's Samson and Delilah. There's all sorts It's made out of sand. I can barely get a bucket to stand with a castle. I could never do this. Right, the next one. Anybody know? I love this picture. Anybody know what this might be made with? Any in eagles? We'll do eagles. I know Dave will probably guess. What do you think it's been made with? Not clay. Not clay. It's so what? It's not gone, Dave it's pencil all those stick men that you managed to do look at this look at the um, emotion and the inquisitiveness and the character in that girl's face just with a pencil that's just with a stick and a piece of lead amazing next one ah this lady's quite um, well she could tell you who that one was that one was Kirsty Thomas this one Anybody know what this might be painted or not painted? Oh, it's very similar to chalk. It's charcoal. Good. Well done. It's a lady who works in charcoal called um, Fiona Tang. She does animals. But not only does she do animals, she makes them look like they're coming out of walls. How does that? That is flat against the wall, but it looks like it is coming out of the wall. The the animation she puts in, and none of them are colour, it's just charcoal. A stick of black she's done that with. It's incredible, isn't it? The next one. Ooh, this is an interesting... I'll put her in as well. Actually, I'm not quite sure what she paints with. Go on. It is paint. I think it might be acrylic. Is it acrylic, Dave, do you think? I think it's acrylic. This lady has taken painting portraits to the nth degree. She actually paints people, as in really paints them. She sits her subjects down and paints the people and then takes a photograph of the people she's painted. It's a really interesting way. She's American, um, but I just love some of the the use of colours and she just is, it's quite an incredible way of doing it, isn't it? It's a different view of uh, painting art, painting people. So next time they ask you to paint a person, there's a, there's a different option. Right, the next one. This is done by an Italian. This is done by Guido Danielle. He paints loads of, again, I'm not even quite sure what this is made of. Go on, what do you think it's painted with? Well, I know what it's on. Go on, what is it on? It's on somebody's hand. And what do you think it is? What animal? What do you reckon it is? A cheetah. I think it might be a cheetah. But he does giraffes, crocodiles. They're amazing. Um, all painted on people's hands. Again, paint on people's bodies. So, creating and crafting things can look very different. You can do it with different um, means, methods, ways. But one thing you can't do is you couldn't wake up tonight, t- this tomorrow morning, Monday morning and think, oh, I think I'll make a sandcastle out ship. Let me just go to the beach and, do anybody reckon they could actually do that? Or, or paint this leopard on somebody, the cheat on somebody's hand. The thing about craft is, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes a plan and a purpose. It takes a pattern and it takes time to do it. You can't just come up with it overnight. In our life and in our world, we've got so many people who want to go on X Factor, want to be famous overnight, want to be rich, want to be brilliant overnight. But to be really skilled and to craft something well, it takes time. A lot of crafts we are losing out of because we just haven't got the patience and the time. Now, The Joe passage that uh, Gina so nicely read um, is about God taking time To craft the foundations of the earth. When I sometimes read Genesis and I hear God just said and it just happened, I just imagine it happened in two seconds and it just goes poof out God's mouth and the world's created. But actually Job shows a different picture. God actually had to fashion, craft and create and form the foundations of the earth. He had to know where the wind came from. He had to know how to hold back the boundaries of the sea. He had to know how to make rainfall or to make the volcanoes come out of the ground. He had to craft it carefully and skillfully over time. It didn't just happen in an absolute instant. Job says that it it took him time to work it through on that day to create it. He set the boundaries Not only in his authority and greatness did he make it, but he had a plan and a purpose. He had a pattern and it took some time. And I'd like us to look at our own lives and the foundations we lay in our own lives. Because sometimes we expect it just to happen overnight. Become a Christian, great, I'm fantastic now. We know that's not true. But we still have an expectation that one prayer will fix it. One one meeting and, and I'll come out changed. But actually to craft the foundations and form your own foundations in your roof is going to take skill and time and purpose. It can't be done overnight. And that sounds like hard work. And patience. Now, um, I want to tell you a story. Um I, when I was a student, I was 16 at school. I went to a school called Pilgrim. Some of you heard this before. I uh, um, went into sixth form. And in my sixth form, along came four new people from private schools. Um, grammar schools come to my sixth form. And there were six of us, Christians, really good friends. We used to do um, CU camps together. I remember being wrapped up in a sleeping bag and being dragged down the corridor by this group. I remember pushing a car down Oxford Road in the middle of London with all the Christmas lights with this group. We did loads of stuff together. There were six of us, and we used to pray together, eat together, play together. Um, and four of them were older than us, and two of us were in the year below. So the four older ones left for university when I hit 17, and it got to the Christmas after they'd left. And I was coming home from my youth group night, and it couldn't get home to my house because the bottom of our road had been cordoned off. The main road that we lived off was all cordoned off by police. There was flashing lights. I was thinking, I can't get to my house. So we had to tell the policeman I just live round the corner. And my youth group leader dropped us off at my house. Didn't think anything of it. The next morning, woke up. In my I was going to Boots. I worked in Boots, a chemist on the cash desk. <laughs> and in my lovely, I had like a. Oh, it was turquoise and grey, and it was really itchy. Um, a uniform. Came down in it. My mum and dad says, uh, Alison, before you go to work, there's something we need to tell you. Um, one of the people in your group, Ian, who was one of my best friends, um, he was he was in a car crash last night at the end of our street, and he's died. Now, that was a real shock. I was only 17. It made a real impact in my life. Because I stood and I thought, I don't understand this God. I don't understand why he's dead and I'm alive. But what I do know is this. There's a purpose for my life. I am here and living because you have purposed me to be here now. And every step of my life, I think back and I think, I'm here and I'm alive because of a purpose in my life. Same for you. Every breath you take today, is because there's a purpose in your life. Because you've been chosen. Because there's something for you to be doing and to be. Every time you you do something or express something of yourself, that's because God created you for who you are, to be who you are, for the purpose he set for you. There is a clear purpose for you. It's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of you. If you're to craft your own life... There must be a belief of a celebration that there has to be a purpose bigger than just enjoyment and just being here and breathing every day. There's a purpose in your life that God has given you to fulfill. That's bigger than just this earth. It, it reaches into eternity. He says the soul which has no fixed purpose in life is lost. To be everywhere is to be nowhere. That's Michael de Montaigne. If we try and be everything to everybody, we actually lose our own purpose. If we watch what the next person is doing and try and do what they're doing, we lose our own purpose. If we try to be all thing to all people, try to fix everything, try to help others with their lives constantly, but lose our own purpose. What's that? We can... We can lose our purpose by actually how we see ourselves, by thinking of ourselves as worthless and useless and no good. But God has chosen you and called you, has handpicked you. He knew in in eternity when he was laying the foundations of the earth that you would be here right now. He set you in Huddersfield for something now. There's no been greater time for you than now. Sometimes circumstances can set us off our purpose, but I always find that the God always knows that there's something's coming and he can, he can change and we can adapt. And actually sometimes when a crisis comes in our life and we, our purpose change, we move into something even greater usually. I find he, 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 he is so great. He just adapts things. The other reason sometimes we, we get thrown off our big eternal purpose. It's because we forget about eternity. We respond to the now all the time. It's about the immediate. You wake up in the morning. Oh, I haven't ironed my shirt. Iron your shirt. Oh, no, I haven't eaten bread. Oh, I've forgotten about this. Oh, no, the kids want this. Oh, I'm late for work. Rushing off. Oh, God needs mowing. Mow the lawn. Oh, no, I've forgotten to do this. Oh, and it's a constant, immediate, immediate, crisis, crisis. We, we end up getting smaller and smaller in our lives because we're always responding to the next thing. And we're not stepping back and saying, in eternity, my purpose looks like this. Therefore, these things need to fit into my bigger picture. Because my bigger picture is the most important thing, the most biggest reason why I'm living for. Sometimes we can drift off our purpose for other things like comfort, lethargy, security... Sometimes our pain can distract us from our purpose. We can disconnect. I'll tell you a funny story. I, will, I wasn't going to, but I will do. I've got a fear of hairdressers. Because I've had bad skin ever since I was a child, right up to being 40, having someone playing with my head, because my scalp, sometimes be sometimes it's And it's like, I hate it because it makes me feel ashamed. So I missed my hairdress appointment a couple six months ago it was. And I was so scared and so full of anxiety, I didn't dare ring. And every day went past and I thought, Alison, you're stupid. Why can't you ring the hairdressers? And I more I went down the 6 months line, the more crippled I got with anxiety and the more ashamed I got that I thought, how stupid. So I got to a point, I sat with Sarah and I said, look, so I said, I can't ring the hairdressers. And she, we did it together, and she sat me down, and she said, you just need to ring her. It's fine. And I did, and I've gone and got my hair cut again, and it's all fine, and it was it was all... But it's its that thing of sometimes our bigger picture of life and our bigger view is actually halted because of um, of things in our own lives, of the pain in our own lives. And because for those whole six months I was trying to avoid the shame that I was feeling... You end up distracting yourself, don't you? Because you know, I knew I should be making that phone call. So there times I had free, I'd go, oh, I need to watch, t- oh, I need to do this instead. I need, so I was making excuses left, right and centre, trying to numb that feeling of shame I had in my life, that actually I wanted that pain to get rid of, to go, so I was putting other things in its place. And we do that so often, whether it be food, whether it be TV, By numbing things in our lives because we're not facing up to them, we can lose the whole big purpose of our lives. And it's not just time we lose, but it's all those positive things that God is has laid up for us to achieve and be. God has a picture of you in his head. And it is the most beautiful picture of you that you could ever imagine. He knows your potential. He knows what you're gifted at. He knows what you can achieve. That is what he sees every time he looks at you. And sometimes we look at ourselves and we don't see the same picture. We see someone who's failing, someone who's rubbish, someone you can't do. It's time to see with his eyes. See what he's seeing about you. Stop believing lies. The other thing I think we miss our purpose is because we, get, we drift <coughs> into lies that this world has for us. So it can be lies about what the purpose of of life is. The Dalai Lama says, the purpose of life is to be happy. I don't see that. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Because if somebody's in pain, and I empathize with them, I feel their pain. So if you're to be following God's heart, happiness isn't what we're after. Although we will feel happy. God has given us everything for life and godliness. He's created beauty, he's created art, he's created everything around you. There is happiness. But that's not my purpose. And yet sometimes I have believed, or we perhaps have believed, that at odd moments, actually, yeah, I deserve to be happy. This is, this is what life's about. But life is about the kingdom of God, about him and his purpose about what he would like, about seeing people saved, about seeing his wholeness come to earth, his peace, his life, his love. That's what we're about, our father's business. We're sons and daughters of the king. We're to take over the father's business. We're to follow in his footsteps, learn his skills, how he loved people. So sometimes in our thinking that it's all about happiness, We can think there is shortcuts. But I will go on to those in a minute. I want to just look at um, what is God's purpose for us. If I'm saying we're losing sight of God's purpose, what is his purpose for us? Because the, the command that Jesus says was higher and above all other commands is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We know that command. We're quite familiar with it. But I would challenge you, without any judgment, if you took away your Sundays every week, what did that look like day to day in your life? Is all your heart all your soul, all your mind and all your strength, just um, loving God all the time. It's a challenge, isn't it? Because actually we know that verse and we know that command, but day to day, take out Sunday and sometimes we have weeks where we don't we barely look, even look like we love God. We barely even walk into His presence and say hello. And that's a challenge. But God is calling us to a wholehearted life where everything that's in us, all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and all our strength is for him. That's the only kind of foundation in your life you can lay. The only foundation skillfully that you can put down. Any other foundation won't hold the weight of what God's got for your life. What does it look like to be wholehearted? It doesn't look like complete enthusiasm on the days when you're tired, but it does look like if you're fearful of something, turning up with courage. It doesn't constantly look like someone who's over the top and extrovert, but it does. It does include letting go of powerlessness and turning up ready to make a difference. It doesn't mean um, being seen all the time, being noticed. But it does mean letting go of anxiety and cultivating stillness. Being wholehearted means authenticity. It means turning up in connection. It means preparing to recognize your own weaknesses, like I said last week, and facing God and realizing who you really are rather than who you want to be. Cultivating wholeheartedly is to be wholeheartedly you, not the person next to you. To be wholeheartedly what God has asked you to be, and to turn up ready. And sometimes we say, oh, I'm wholeheartedly. But then when you even come on a Sunday morning and the worship starts and you've got things you're thinking about, you've had a hard day, you're still in yourself and saying, God, wholeheartedly with all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, all my courage, because today I'm full of anxiety. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to I'm going to love you with my whole heart. It's starting to put your whole heart together and worship from every part of your being, not just a tiny section. In the youth, we've got I meant to bring one. God in our pockets. They're little tiny things that Judith Taylor's made for us. Because quite often we found in the youth that Christians, especially young people, have God in the back pocket. So when the times get really hard, they'll bring God out and say, Oh God, I really need this. Can you help me? Thanks. Put him back in their back pocket and then carry on living their own lives. And then when they get to church, they bring him out and say, Oh God, you can come back out on a Sunday morning. Gets to Sunday afternoon. It's, Oh, I'll put you back in my pocket now. But wholehearted is allowing God to take control. God to be loved all the time in all places in all moments. That's the only foundation this church can have. That's the only foundation we can have in our lives. Having God at the centre with all our hearts. Wholeheartedness. So, how do we cultivate these wholehearted foundations in our lives? I've just got a few that I'd like to suggest to you. Now, I'm... Um, been in charismatic circles since we came out of the Baptist church, since I did when I was younger, and we weren't allowed to uh, raise our hands. Anyway, but I am aware that I've been in many meetings where people have promised that if they pray for me, everything will everything will change and everything will go away. Sometimes we wait for that massive, amazing prayer that will change our whole lives. But actually... It's a matter of cultivating and creating a foundation day by day, patterns day by day in our lives, habits day by day in our lives that make us secure, but it's hard work. There's a passage in um Judges I'd like to read to you, and I like this one, because it's about a guy called Naaman, and he's been promised a healing. And in his head, he's got how this is going to work out. He's an um, amazing um commander of the army he's coming he says I want to be healed and this is how he, he arrives Naaman went with his horses and chariots he wants to show how massive a brilliant man he is all his horses all his chariots and he goes to the door of Elisha's house but Elisha didn't come out he sent a messenger out to him with this message go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan river Jordan's a river, and it's not even a nice river. It's a bit of a stinky river. Then your skin will be restored, and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Now, you would think he's got leprosy. You'd think that'd be great news. He's going to be healed at last of this leprosy. Your fingers drop off, your nose drop off, things like that. But Naaman became really angry, really angry. He said, I thought he would certainly come out the door, come and meet me. With my chariots and horses, I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of God and heal me. Sounds a bit like um, Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? Aren't the rivers of Damascus better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in a rage. He does eventually get healed and do what God asked him to do. But he was so angry because he wanted it instantly in the way that he wanted it to happen. And God's saying that's not how it's going to happen. Actually, sometimes we have to decide in our own hearts. It's, it's a harder way. It's a more painful way. But because it changes our hearts, not just our circumstances, it's better for us. So, how do you craft your lives? Now, I'm going to give you some some lists. Now, before I do, I'm very aware... Especially me. When I was writing them down and thinking, "Oh my goodness, I am not like this." I just want you to assure: them, this isn't me. This isn't saying that I'm a perfect person at all. But I'm saying I recognise these are really important things in our lives to have. So as I'm suggesting all these foundational things in your life, again, I don't want you to think I am so rubbish. I, can, I can't do any of these. I want you to think actually, for my life right now, what is my next step? What is the next foundation I need to put in my life and work on skillfully, day by day, to put patterns in my life of habits in my life in order for me to succeed? Creatively. It's all about rhythms and patterns. So in order, before I read these out, you've got to realise these aren't things that you can do as a one-off. If you want to be... um, I'm thinking of some examples. I I have got some. If you want to be really skillful at playing football or pottery, or painting, or car design, or meal creations, or gardening. You can't just do it overnight. You can't grow a beautiful garden overnight. It has to be day by day, working, toiling, pulling the weeds up, planting the seeds. The same with our own lives. It's not going to be a one-off fix, guys. It's habits and patterns in our lives. It's looking back in his eternity and saying, this purpose in my life is so important, I need to make time for this. He's no longer saying, I'm too busy to do that. I'm too busy to go here or to be part of this. But standing back and saying, actually, in the purpose of eternity, to do that and gather there right now with those people is so important. I'm going to clear time to do that. In order to spend time with God. My life's my day is so busy. But actually, it's so important I spend quality time with my father. I'm going to clear time to do that. And you move things and you make patterns. I know for myself, if I'm going to the gym, to have a set day, I go on and a set time. So when I wake up and I feel groggy and my body's going, please don't go, please don't go. I know that that's a pattern of my life. I get up, I go, I feel better. It's putting that in your life, setting these patterns in your life and it will take hard work. So let's have a look. I've put for your body... Patterns we need to put in in order for us to be the people God's asking us to be. We need eight hours sleep. That's really, really important. I've been listening to a TED talk. It says we're actually damaging our bodies when we're not sleeping enough. When we don't go to bed early enough, we don't wake up early, this is one of the basic patterns in your life that will stop you if you're not doing it. Fulfill the purposes of God in your life. You wake up groggy, tired, grumpy, irritable. Um, It can actually affect your mental health as well. Eating healthily. Exercise. Fasting. Drinking loads of water. As a nation, we don't drink enough water. Taking your vitamin D. Not with our bodies, not violating our hearts through our bodies, not doing anything with our bodies that's actually going to affect and violate our hearts and our spirits. Choosing quality rest. In other words, not saying I'm resting tonight, I'm not going anywhere, this is rest tonight, I'm vegging in front of the TV. That's not quality rest. Rest that you've chosen, rest that you enjoy, things that really cause you to relax. Relax um deliberate choices, wholehearted choices. For your mind. They're saying reading is is really um top at the minute of things that people have stopped doing that's affecting things like mental health, rest, relaxation. Read. Um for your mind, watch what lies you tell about yourself. Don't take on other people's battles. Take charge of your thoughts, worries, and your temptations. For your mind, really important. But day to day, you can't just do that overnight. Stop worrying. No, you need to process that and keep working at it. For your soul, practice of forgiveness, of generosity, being good to others, learning how to be emotionally healthy, and there's tools to do that enjoying something you're good at now this might sound crazy but I found a lot of people are drifting into things they're not even enjoying but it's the easiest lowest common denominator of rest actually deciding to enjoy something be creative listen to music do something that makes you creative cook do sabbath once a week where you rest and you delight in God Build authentic relationships. Deliberately go out for people time. For your spirit, practice contemplation, worship, singing in tongues. Definitely practice meeting together. Not just on a Sunday, but during the week. Praying, reading your Bible, studying the Bible, loving others well. We need to feed on the Bible. We need to be praying as a basic foundation to our life. So sometimes when a table's wobbly and there's just one leg that's off, the whole table starts wobbling. It's the same with us. If we are not reading our Bibles and praying, our whole life can be wobbly. And all it takes is that one thing to put back in our lives, right? I really need to get back in the word. I really need to get back in the praying. I really need to get back wholeheartedly in my faith. Your table might stop wobbling. You might not need all the all the things that you think you need. You might not be as bad. It just might need that one thing to get back. So practise skillful foundation laying in your life over time. With purpose. Just like a craft person would make a, a beautiful picture. Do you want to put any which one would you fancy? Put them on up with knowledge time, just as God laid the foundations. Make your life something beautiful. Not because it makes God love you more, but because you know you're worth it. Because you know God has beautiful plans for you. Because you know you are loved. You're not striving to be something you're not. You're just walking in somebody that you already are but you are working at yourself to make yourself the best person that you can be.